0: Number one, Jim. Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for this morning, this time. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to focus and to hear what you want us to hear from your word, that we would understand what you intended, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus. That We become more and more like him. That your word would be at work in us, dwelling richly, so that you would be magnified in our actions and our reactions, our thoughts, our intentions, Lord God. May they be that which brings you glory. Bless your word as it goes out now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, when you think about people that walked with God, uh, who comes to mind? Probably Enoch, right? He walked with God and the Lord took him. Lord took him. Praise the Lord. Uh, we think at times because of our sin and our failures that we can't walk with God. We think uh, that this walk is too hard or too difficult. But the reality is if you've come to a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in him, we are to walk with him. We're to walk with him in the same manner in which we came to him, which is by faith. And we are enabled to, by his spirit, as we'll see, through his word, to actually walk in a manner that is worthy. Now, we're not going to walk in a worthy manner all the time, but we should be walking more worthily every day. The Lord wants us to become like Jesus Christ. And so you might say, I really want to please God, but how do I do that? I know the verses. I know the Lord, I think, but how do I please him, practically speaking? Well, today we're going to see in our study of Colossians how we can walk worthily pleasing him. So turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10 today. And as I mentioned before, this section is a larger section of basically almost the whole first chapter, not complete portion. So we're just pulling a piece out. So we do need to understand the context you know, the Apostle Paul is uh, under house arrest in Rome. It's about 62 A.D., and although he had never personally visited these Colossians, he had heard from Epaphras, uh, his beloved fellow bond servant of Christ, that um, they uh, had come to faith, that they had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they were loving one another. And he informed them of their love in the Spirit. And yet it's apparent that the apostle Paul came to understand some information about the Colossian church also, probably from Epaphras, that there were threats to their faith. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We'll see that later on in our passage. We'll see that next week, Lord willing. And when that happens, we instantly have a new enemy, Satan. And he uses people in his domain to try to trip up believers from the simplicity of a devotion to Christ. And so the Apostle Paul has heard that people were trying to delude them, in a sense, with persuasive arguments concerning their walk with Jesus. All kinds of uh, ways to follow Jesus. You can see those in chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul says these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. None of these things work. You can't make a list of this is what I'm going to do now for God. This is what I'm not going to do. Uh, and That's not going to help you. You're going to find yourself either becoming a Pharisee or you're going to find yourself falling hard in sin. The reality is the solution to how we do not uh, fall into fleshly indulgence and fall into things we don't want to do, the solution is a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul shares that in this book. It is all about Christ. We see that in chapter 1, he is our Redeemer, our Creator. He's before all things. He holds all things together. He is the head of the body. He is preeminent. That In him, all things will have first place in everything. He is fully God and fully man. And he died to present us holy and blameless. And he is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we are being built up in him. And he is the one we proclaim so that we would be made complete. In chapter 2, we see in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't get taken captive spiritually. Trust the Lord instead. Chapters 3 and 4, because we've died with him and been raised with him, we should set our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. We should recognize we actually can say no and kill off uh, sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of a changed heart and mind. We are to be preparing our hearts, letting his peace rule it. We are to clothe ourselves with Christ, letting his word dwell richly in us. We are to be choosing to allow his word to govern all our actions, thus having him govern all our actions, whether it's in the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, or the slave-master relationship, or in our relationship to others and outsiders. So this book is extremely important and we believers are tempted on all sides to pull our eyes off of Jesus, Uh, maybe for good reasons, but they're not good if their eyes are being pulled off. So then, Colossians is about the preeminence of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ for everything we need in this life. So how can we walk worthily pleasing God? Let's read our passage, and I'm going to go a little bit farther past our passage. Again, like I said, this whole first three quarters of chapter 1 are really one long sentence. Verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. That's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? That's what we're going to look at today. And then notice this is connected to it. It goes with it. Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us into, or to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Lord, take us home, right? Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful passage. So then, we have this tremendous portion. And you, 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 I've mentioned this before, but you know, it's always a burden and we're not trying to be fruit checkers, but it's always a burden when we're not sure if someone's saved or not, they claim to be saved, we're like, ay, ay, ay. oh, we don't see fruit in our lives, we're not, we're not trying to, 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 to say we know their hearts, but just on the outside, it just doesn't look like something's right. And yet we see someone who's truly saved. They have trusted in Jesus, and they are those who are loving one another. You know, love covers them all to the sins. You know, we, we love one another. We, we, we forgive one another, right? We walk in love as Jesus Christ loved us. That's different. That's different. And you see that, and you go, praise the Lord, they have come to faith. And so the Apostle Paul, as we saw last time, said in verse 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love which you have for the saints. We saw this last week. He's praising God and praying. They're real believers. And it brings them to his knees. And part of what we'll see today is a continuation of that. And after we saw that first portion I just read there, we saw that they had a hope light laid up for them in heaven, of which they previously heard in the Word of Truth, the Gospel. We saw that last week. The Gospel is the good news. It's the Word of Truth. It's the Gospel of your salvation. It's the Gospel of the grace of God. It is the good news that God did not leave mankind in his wretched, sinful state. That God sent his Son Jesus. The grace of God has appeared that he came and he lived the perfect life, took on human flesh, fully God, fully man, and he bore our sins in his body on the cross. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was made poor, that we might be made rich, right? That we would have salvation and a relationship with the Father through him. Tremendous reality. And we see that Epaphras has informed them that, uh, that they heard they responded to the gospel. They learned it from Epaphras and they heard it and they understood it and believed it. And we see that it bore fruit. They had a genuine love in the Spirit. And so Paul's saying, We're praying. We're praying because of your salvation. And that's what he goes back to right here for this reason in verse 9 because they're believers. And it's evident. It's evident. Now, before we get started looking at these verses specifically, I want to give you the kind of some grammatical context which should help us. He's obviously praying for these Colossians, and notice what it is that they might be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's what He's praying for. That's the request, verse 9. For what reason or what purpose? Verse 10 so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects. So you've got the request, and then you have a purpose stated. I'm praying this for you so that this would happen. That's what he's saying, basically. And so how can we walk in a worthy manner? Well, we're going to see that we need to continually renew our minds with his revealed will and the knowledge of him. That's what we're going to say. Verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. For this reason, dia, tau, in Greek. Uh, the reason is what he's been talking about already, the changed lives of the Colossians, the evidence of changed lives, that they uh, heard the gospel, they responded, they understood, they they believed, and they were loving one another. And so because of these changed lives, he says, for this reason, he says, since the day we've heard it, we've not ceased to pray. We've not ceased to pray. We haven't stopped praying we haven't stopped praying. And the, it's interesting, the word cease speaks of we haven't been hindered to stop in a sense. Stuff gets in the way and we get hindered. It says we haven't ceased from praying. You see, if someone's been saved, there's going to be evidence, and that evidence is a love for one another. We see this exact same thing in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, for this reason, Ephesians one fifteen. I, having heard of the faith in Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for the saints, do not cease giving thanks. Hey, you're true believers. This is an agape love. This is a love that comes from God. It's a love that we do not, we do not, and cannot manufacture. It is innate to our relationship with Him. In First Thessalonians chapter four, the Apostle Paul says that we don't need to be taught to love the brethren. Because we're taught by God to love. We, it's, it's innate to our relationship with him. We know from 1 John that we love because he first loved us. We receive the spirit of God in our hearts and his love then is in us and able to be manifest if we abide in him and his love as we say. And when we love, we're going to... Um, Sacrificially obey God in relationship to one another. That's what really love is. It's a sacrificial obedience to God for your benefit. I'm giving up my rights to obey God's word towards you because I see you as more important. And what God says I should do for you is the best thing. It's the right thing. It's a sacrificial love. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. John 15, 12, just as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this than he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus doesn't command us with burdensome regulations. His commands are gracious, kind, merciful, loving, and holy. We see in 1 John chapter 5, that this is the love of God. Uh, when we, this, how, this is how we can know we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. We observe not the Ten Commandments, but his commands and his word. His word says, if I have anything against you, I need to let that go, right? It these, I need to forgive you. And if you're caught up in sin, I need to come alongside you and help you out. And if you're rebellious, I need to come alongside and expose it that I might win you. It's got all kinds of different commands in that, right? But practically speaking, they're the day-in-day commands of how we interact with one another in graciousness and kindness, walking like Jesus did towards us. So then, we see here that they had a real love. They had a real love. And so for this reason, he says, We've not ceased to pray for you. Now, in just about all of Paul's letters, we see him praying. Romans 1, Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Timothy 1, and Philemon plus Colossians. Paul is praying for people that he has ministered to. And this was convicting to me. I'm thinking, Lord, do I pray enough for the people I'm ministering to? Lord, I need to be praying that they would do exactly what you're saying here. And we need to pray for one another in the same way. In the same way. So then, he is praying. Now, why doesn't Paul just say, you know, God's working on him; They'll get there eventually. You hear that, don't you? God's working on him; They'll get there. Well, you know, that's true. But implying in that is that I'm not going to intervene. I'm not going to deal with it. Rather than, I'm going to pray for that person that God would change them. I'm going to pray for that person that they would be convicted. I'm going to pray for them that God would make them into the image of his son. Praying, 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 praying. And Paul didn't cease praying. He didn't cease praying. This should shame us, in a sense. We're so busy on our own lives and all of our own stuff. This person did this to me. That happened to me. This happened here. Oh, no. Whatever it might be. Rather than... Lord, help me to see the important things. Help me to pray for those people around you. We see that the Lord loved them to the end. And he loved them and loved us by dying for us, right? We see that. So Paul says, hey, since we've heard of it for this reason, we haven't stopped praying. We haven't stopped praying. And notice he shares there's a petition with this. He says, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. See, the Apostle Paul understood that only God can change someone. The Apostle Paul understood that it was through prayer. And when we pray, we exhibit humility in a sense that we recognize we can't do it and God must do it. And so we need to be praying all the time. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. And so we have his petition here, specifically that these Colossians might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now this word knowledge, gnosis, with the epi on front makes it intense. Epinosis speaks of a full or intensified knowledge, specifically in this context, of his will. And he says here that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will. I pray these true believers... Would be filled with the knowledge of His will. See, if you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can never be filled with the knowledge of His will. Got to be a believer. Got to be a believer. Now, this term may be filled comes from the Greek word plerao. It speaks of being uh, totally filled or being filled up. Uh, it speaks of things being completed, maybe reaching an end. You could think of this: I was fulfilled after I went to McDonald's. You know, I, I reached the end of that. I'm fulfilled, right? Whatever it might be. We have here that it's filled, reaching an end, being complete. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but same verb, but be filled with the Spirit. The contrast is, don't let wine fill you and thus control you. Let the Spirit of God be controlling you. Let the spirit of God be controlling you, be fulfilled with the Spirit. We have the spirit in us, but sometimes we're not filled with the spirit in the sense that we're not allowing the spirit to control us. And so then he's praying here that they may be filled, and it's also in a passive voice in Greek, which is very interesting, which means the action is not accomplished by the subject. it is passively receiving the subject's passively receiving the action. So he's not saying, "Go out and be filled with the knowledge of his will." Go do it. He's praying that God would do this in them, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, there's a means in which that happens. Yes, there is. But God is the one who fills us with the knowledge of his will. He's praying for that. Completely controlled with the full knowledge of his will. You see, if we know what God's will is, and we'll talk about it in a minute, it's going to control us. If we know what God's will is for this conversation, God's will is for this interaction. God's will is for what happens if I mess up? What God's will is for me, right? And so with that in mind, what is God's will? What does that mean? You know, we have a lot of things. Well, I want, is it God's will for me to buy that car? You know, well, nothing wrong with asking God. We should pray about Everything. But more often than not, God's will is not an answer to a question of what we should purchase or whatever it might be. Certainly we we give that over to him, right? But we're going to see God's will basically is God's desire. That's what the word means. The speaks of the desire which comes from one's heart or emotions. That's what the term will means. It's what one desires or has determined Shall be done, and so here you could see obviously god 's will is speaking of what God desires and has determined should be done that 's god 's will and so here it 's not hard for us to understand this concept of will. you know we have our own wills, we, we think what we what should be done, we determine that that 's our will that 's our desires. As human beings, we operate basically on our will or God's will. Those are the two options. Now, we might be someone else's will, but it's really our will, right? Versus God's will. And so here, with this in mind, let's make some observations from our passage about God's will from our passage. Notice, first of all, he says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. First of all, it is his will. It's crucial to see this. It's crucial. It's speaking about God. It's what God desires to happen. It's what God desires to happen. It's God's will. Secondly, it's something that is to be known, that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And there are many passages of Scripture concerning God's will, but today I just want to encapsulate one major element of God's will, which I believe comes from this passage. You see, God's will, more often than not, is not a scripture, or more often than not, is, is related to what we do, our actions. What is His will for us? Our character, our thoughts, and thus what we do. It's about righteous behavior revealed in His Word. It's about His will. Take, for instance, you can look at, uh, 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter through 4, let's turn it, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is a, a, a an example, it's in a narrow field, but it's an example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, this is God's desire, this is his determination, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That means to be set apart from sin. Now, he's going to give a specific example related to these Thessalonians, but related to all of us. That He says, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel. No, notice, know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is his will, is to know how we are to possess our vessels. Not in an evil way like the Gentiles. But like, but in sanctification and honor, that's his desire, and it can be known if we read it and allow the Spirit of God to illuminate it, as we will see. This is the will of God. The will of God. And Paul also makes this argument clear in Ephesians chapter five. The women are going through this. Turn there. He's going to say, Hey, here's all this similarity and all this stuff. That's not the way you should be. That's not the will of God for you. Ephesians chapter 5, after exhorting us to walk in love like Christ walked in love for us, he says in verse 3, But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you. That's God's will. He says, don't do that. Don't let that happen, right? As is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Hey, you should be thankful. That's God's will instead. That's his desire, Right? For this you know a certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of dispute. See, this is his motivation for us to do his will, right? This is not who you are. That's who they are, and they're going to hell. Don't be deceived, right? And so he says here, uh, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Hey, you're, you're righteous because of Christ. Right in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk in the light, not in the darkness. That's righteousness, not sin, like you just talked about here. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn. Or demonstrate what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. And for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Now listen to this. Therefore, be careful how you walk. He says here, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? He says, don't act like them. Don't do those sinful, wicked things you did before you were saved. But we should be walking in, in the context of the light. Righteousness, truth, right? Those things. That's God's will revealed in his word, very specifically. You see, and often God's will is opposed to our will. This is the way we used to live before we knew Christ. That was our will. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, for because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, it doesn't mean we stopped, but here's what he explains. He says, So, as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men but for the will of God. I'm going to live for his desire rather than mine or yours, right? I'm going to live for his desire as revealed in the word of God. And Paul's praying, hey, I pray that they're filled to the brim with the knowledge of his will. You see, because if we have his will understood in our hearts and our minds have been renewed because we're true believers, have the spirit of God, then it's going pre- to come out in our behavior. Romans 12, 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. He may demonstrate his will in action, having had your minds transformed. We see very clearly that's what it is. Let me give you another example here, a practical example uh, from Ephesians chapter 6. Turn there, Ephesians chapter 6. Practical example of, of God's will and, and how it functions in our actions. This could be applied to the work relationship. These were like indentured servants, and at this time slavery is a little different at this time. But he says, slaves, be obedient to those of your masters according to the flesh. That's God's will, by the way, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. That's God's will. And not by way of eye service as man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Look at this. Doing the will of God from the heart. Don't be a man pleaser. That's not God's will. But be obedient to your masters. That's doing the will. Do it from your heart. Right? Doing the will of God. With good render service as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that whatever good whatever whatever good thing uh, that one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Doing the will of God, from the heart. Paul's praying, hey, that they be filled with the knowledge of his will, because we're going to see that when you're filled with the knowledge of his will, that's the first step to walking worthily. I can't walk worthily unless I have his will filled in my heart. I know what it is, and and then I can thus trust him and live it out. So then back in our passage, one other thing that I want to point to uh, here is that it's not just simply the knowledge of his will alone. There's a parallel passage, and I read it earlier in Ephesians that speaks of the knowledge of him. The knowledge of his will is tied up in the knowledge of the person of Christ. And I'm going to read that again for Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We're praying you have spiritual wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And our passage is about the knowledge of his will. His will in him, right? This is the focal point. Jesus is the focal point. Uh, the Apostle Paul would say uh, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Jesus is the focal point, And his will, his desire should be our focal point. Jesus made it clear that when he prayed to the Father in John 17, this is eternal life. That they might know thee, the one and only true God, and your son whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is summed up in a relationship with the living God. And within that, there is God's will for us to manifest his character as we abide and trust in his son. So then, in our passage, we are to be, he's praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And even later on, he'll talk about in uh, verses uh, 9 through 10, increasing in the knowledge of God a little on later on. That's part of it. Increasing the knowledge of God. We'll see that next week. That's in the end of uh, verse 10. It's one of those fruits. So then. My glasses. I'm doing, I guess I'm doing okay without my glasses right now. So the, <laughs> all of a sudden I realized they're gone. Oh, here they are. Alright. So then. Um, God has revealed his will through his word, as we're going to see. So Paul is praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now notice back in our passage, go to Colossians, back in our passage, that he qualifies this. Because a lot of people kind of talk about his will, but they may start putting in human things in that spot instead of what God has revealed they kind of convert man's will or their will into God's will, and that's not what he's talking about. Because His will is a spiritual reality, and it is something that can only be understood in the spiritual sphere, rightly. So he says, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding." That's the sphere, spiritual. Wisdom, all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. You could actually take that all and apply it to understanding also. So the Bible's clear that there are two types of wisdom wisdom from above and wisdom from below. James 3. There's the wisdom of the man of man in the world, there's the wisdom of God from above, right? And so here, certainly spiritual wisdom comes from the Spirit of God, right? Two can't be disconnected. And where do we find spiritual wisdom? Do we get it in dreams? Do we get it in meditation? Where do we find spiritual wisdom? We know that God spoke in many portions in many ways, and now he's spoken through His Son. Turn to First Corinthians chapter two, because we see very clearly where His wisdom comes from, God's wisdom. First Corinthians chapter two. The Apostle Paul is cutting the table legs out of the uh, Corinthians' pride in man, had spiritual pride. I'm a Paul. I'm a Paulo, Some of this, some of that. They were tempted to that uh, in terms of wisdom, in a sense. And Paul has to say, "Hey, here's my example," and his example is not of an elevation of a man at all. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse chapter two, verse one. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Or wisdom, of wisdom, proclaim to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. Focus on Jesus, right? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Boy, preaching 101 here for people, for believers, not for the fakers out there pulling in the world every Sunday. He says here, my message and my preaching were not. In persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. But he's saying, yet, hey, we do speak wisdom. And I would tell you what it's all about. He's going to say that here. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature or complete. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak what? God's wisdom. In a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, the things which I have not seen, ear has not heard, and have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This is stuff that didn't come from human beings. Never even entered the heart of man. It it came from God. And notice what he says here. It's not something that's coming later on. Notice what he says here. For to us God revealed them. These are those hidden things. The wisdom of God was revealed through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know, get that word, know. We might know the things freely given to us by God. That's his word. That's his wisdom that wasn't known, but now it's been revealed. But then, and he says, which things we also, also speak. Hey, it's God's word we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but, but those in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But a natural man, that's a non-believer, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, for he cannot and he cannot understand, because they are spiritually appraised. That's why we share the gospel with non-believers. By the way, they're not going to get not going to get anything else. They can They don't accept it. They're not going to get it. But he says here, but who? But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the thoughts revealed of Christ in his word. Those hidden things of wisdom. We have God's word. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 states that in him, speaking of Christ, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's word is the only context in which we come to the full knowledge of his will. It's his spirit revealed will, spiritual wisdom. It's God's wisdom. That's why we don't want to listen to those who don't know the Lord. We'd be polite, we'd be kind, but we don't listen to them. We don't get our counsel. Blesses the man who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seerscopters, or you know that, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So then we have divine revelation, God's word, that is given by the Spirit of God, through men moved by the Spirit, spoke from God, 2 Peter chapter 1. And so Paul's praying that you'd be filled with it, filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with that. In all spiritual wisdom, that's the sphere. It's God's wisdom from his word, by his spirit. It's spiritual. But notice, we can know his word, but we may not understand it. He's going to pray for understanding, too. He says here, in all spiritual wisdom, that's the sphere, and understanding. Back in our passage. You could say literally all spiritual understanding, that all spiritual goes with that. Now this term understanding, interesting word, it speaks of ascending together. It spoke of a union, of two rivers coming together. Hence the idea of comprehension, insight, or understanding. Sometimes we know God's word, but we don't understand it. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in the context of spiritual wisdom and understanding understanding that we would get it Luke 24 when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with those dejected disciples he opened their minds that they would understand the scriptures later on when he appeared before him he opened their minds that they would understand the scriptures God needs to do that it is God who opens our minds to understand the scriptures The Spirit of God reveals the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It is the Word of God by the Spirit of God that we understand that truth of God. And we need to come humbly before him. Open my eyes that I would see wonderful things from thy law. When we come to God's Word, we need to rely on him to enable us to understand his spiritual wisdom from the Word. We need to rely on him. So then, we have this tremendous statement. But how do we get spiritual wisdom and revelation? How do we get that? We see it comes from the Word. Second Timothy three sixteen, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. We see it points to Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus would say, again on that road to Emmaus, the things about me written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms would be fulfilled, focused on him. We know that he gave apostles and some prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the work of service, the building of the body of Christ, till we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Mature. We know that he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, through his precious and magnificent promises. So then, we gain spiritual wisdom through the word of God and we gain spiritual understanding by the spirit of God. The spirit of God illumines the word of God. So it's not simply being filled with biblical knowledge. There's got to be faith in Jesus. And when we believe what God has said and we rely on him to give us understanding, then we fill up on that knowledge. We're fulfilled, in a sense, in that knowledge. And Paul was praying because God has to do it. God has to do it. And this is his prayer, and this should be our prayer for one another, that we would be filled, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because if that doesn't happen you will not walk in a worthy manner. Notice what he says here, verse 10, back in our passage, let's finish up with this. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Think of a very basic illustration. You want to please your boss, you need to know what his will is for you. And when you do it, you're going to please your boss. When you walk in that will, right? Now the Lord's will is very clear, but that will is in the context of dependent faith in him, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So he says here, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is really quite amazing. The term walk speaks of to walk around. It speaks of our day-to-day behavior, our conduct, the way we live, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Enoch walk with God. Walk worthy of the Lord. The term worthy (axios) speaks of bringing up the beam of the scales, making it equivalent worthy with the lord how can that be well it's behavior that is mass, that's consistent with the very character of christ he says don't he says not that we he doesn't say we are to be worthy he doesn't say make yourselves worthy he says that we be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might walk in a worthy manner As God's word is working in my heart by his spirit, he directs me in my actions and reactions day in and day out in every circumstance that I depend on him and trust him in. Amazing statement. The point is when we're truly controlled and filled by the true knowledge of his will, Illumined by his spirit in our hearts, we believe it, trust in Christ, then we're enabled to walk in a worthy manner, or i.e., that is, behave in a manner consistent with the very character of Christ. And thus, middle of verse 10, to please him in all respects. What pleases God? Remember Matthew 3 7, when uh, Jesus was baptized, and behold, a voice came out of the heavens This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus pleases God. We know from Hebrews 11:6, it is possible apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. When we trust in Jesus and we are filled with the knowledge of His will, obeying Him by faith, He's pleased. He's pleased. He's pleased when I live with my wife in an understanding way rather than get embittered. He's pleased if wives submit uh, unto the Lord and unto their husbands righteously. That have gentle and quiet. So he's pleased when we when we walk in the knowledge of his will. He's pleased when we don't snap back and return evil for evil. When he leads us not to do it. He's pleased when we when we put aside all anger and malice and and, and envy and slander. He's pleased when we don't worry but we pray instead, thanking him, making our requests known. He's pleased when we do these things, trusting him, trusting him. To please him in all respects. Trying to learn what's pleasing, right? Ladies are doing that, right? Trying to demonstrate that. So then, how do we please the Lord and walk worthily? We need to be in the Word of God, with a heart that is humble and dependent, filling being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means we've got to be confessing sin we got to be walking with him. We need to be humbly praying that God will open our hearts and minds. Praying for one another. Trusting in Jesus. He wants us to walk worthily. We can't do it, but he does it through us if we trust him. Isn't that amazing? It's quite amazing. And we'll see this next time what this looks like in real time. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, patiently, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints of light. That's what it looks like. So then, do you want to walk worthily and please the Lord? I do. And for that to happen, we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Is that happening in your life? I pray it is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we all know how short we fall, and we all know our failures oh so well. But yet we know that you've forgiven us, and we know that your word is true. I pray that we here and those listening would be filled with, with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might walk in a worthy manner to please you in all respects. Help us to take these truths to heart, to not let them escape, to not forget what you've said through your word, that we might walk this way, that we might be with, like Enoch who walked with you, and you might come, Lord Jesus, and take us away. So we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.